You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can look with me this morning to the book of Nehemiah. So it's about like, if you start at the beginning, it's like nine, ten books in. Um, maybe some of you haven't been to the book of Nehemiah in a while. I think it's one of uh, the greatest stories in all of the Bible. There's so many lessons we can learn from the, the book of Nehemiah. So today we're launching a new series. And we're, we've actually titled this series, Building a Better World. Because the book of Nehemiah, as you're going to discover as we jump into this, the book of Nehemiah is a book about building. It's a book about restoring and rebuilding. And, and that's one of the reasons I love this book. Because what is physically happening for Nehemiah, I think God wants to consistently, continually do in our lives. He wants to rebuild and restore. Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to rebuild and restore. Go ahead and tell him. So by God's grace and his work, the work of his spirit in our lives, there's this ongoing rebuilding and restoring that God's working. And so we see this playing out here in Nehemiah's story. And it's a it's a pretty amazing story of how God takes an ordinary man and does extraordinary things through his life. And again, I think that's another great lesson in this book as to what God would want to do through your life. Because today you might look at yourself and just say, hey, I'm just an ordinary man or I'm just an ordinary woman. What could God ever do through me? Um, just read the story of Nehemiah. God can do great things through your life. It's simply that of us making ourselves Available. So as we as we look to Nehemiah's story, this is what we want to talk about specifically is how can we be used by God to build a better world? As we discovered in the culture shock series that we we just finished, we have some challenges in our community. We have some challenges in our world. And rather than just complaining about the challenges or the issues, I believe God wants to work through each of us again to bring redemption and restoration Um, I believe that God wants us to be change agents. And that's what we see in in the story of Nehemiah. He was a change agent who was directed by God. But I believe God wants that for all of us, that we would be change agents in our world. So if we want our world to be a better world, if we want our community to be a better community, then what we got to step up, right? It was Mahatma Gandhi who said, uh, be the change that you want to see. In other words, if you want change, if we think there needs to be change in our community, as in this culture shock series we just finished, we talked about the challenge of morality, not just in the world, but here in our community. We talked about the challenge of of today. People are like moving away from God. They're not moving to God. So in the midst of that challenge, and if we want to see change, then we have to step up and be willing to say, God, use me. God worked through me. So just as Nehemiah was a change agent, A man of action. So, again, I believe God's called us to be change agents. Again, I know it's a bit early, but encourage your neighbor. Turn to them and say, hey, God's calling you to be a change agent. Go ahead and tell them. Calling us to action. This past week, I, excuse me, I came across a humorous story about action and change. The story is about a, a woman who went to the doctor's office and she was seen by one of the new young doctors who had just come on staff. After about four minutes in the examination room, this woman comes running out of the examination room. She's screaming as she's running down the hall. And it's there that she's greeted by one of the older doctors who knew her. Miss Jones knew her quite well. 
um, and asked her what the problem was. And she told him what happened. And he says, ma'am, just sit down right here. Relax for a minute. I'll, I'll take care of this and I'll be back. So he marches down the hall into the examination room where this new young doctor was was working. And, and he approached the older doctor, approached the younger doctor and said, what in the world are you doing? Miss Jones, she's been a, she's been a, uh, a patient here for a lot of years. She's 63 years old. She has three children, seven grandchildren. What in the world are you doing telling her she's pregnant? <laughs> the young doctor has his clipboard without even looking up. He said it cured her hiccups, didn't it? <laughs> Call to action, right? Pretty radical. But again, as we look to Nehemiah's call and the whole challenge to build a better world, at times, I don't know how you feel about that, but at times it like feels overwhelming to me. As I look at the reality of what's happening in our community and I look at the challenges we're facing, not only in our community, but in our world, as I think about the the, the challenges in our government, again, the challenges of morality. And I, I think, wow, I'm called to be a change agent. And God's wanting me to be a part of his work in the world of bringing redemption and restoration. It's like, where do we start? Man, what, what, what can we do? And I think in the midst of this, as we think about building a better world, this is, this is a statement. It's the first statement there in your notes this morning. It's a statement that we don't want to forget. In the midst of all of this, we always want to remember that as Christ's followers, we're never alone. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're never alone. As you're making yourself available for the assignment that God would have for you to be a change agent in our world, to make this world a better world, to be about, again, God's redeeming, restoring work, then you're not doing that on your own by yourself. Here's the good news this morning. You have God in you, with you, and for you, working to bring change through you. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't even finish this sermon this morning. I would just quit. If I thought this was all about me and how good I can be, how eloquent I can be, how well I can put words together. If I thought it was just me, I would quit. But what I'm confident of is God's called me to be a change agent. Is God's called you to be a change agent in building a better world. This is the reality. You have God in you, with you, and for you. So it's not just about how smart you can be. It's not just about how strategic can we be. And I think we should be strategic. It's really about how available can we be. That becomes the question. How available are we for God to do his work through our lives? How available are we for God to manifest his power by the Holy Spirit in and through our lives that that we can see the change that we want to see? As we look to Nehemiah's story... Again, what we have here really, I mean, this is the simple side of it. We have an ordinary man that God, God did extraordinary things through his life. I mean, the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days happened through the leadership of Nehemiah as he made himself available to God. Now, we're going to get to uh, kind of his story in just a minute. But before we do, I thought it might be helpful to give you like the big picture, the overview of the book of Nehemiah. Now, what I would encourage you to do this week, um, in about 30 minutes, you can read the whole book. So this week, sometime this week, take 30 minutes, sit down and read the book of Nehemiah. Because we're going to be working our way through this about the next five, six weeks. That way you'll be really familiar with the story. Read it through a couple times just so you have a good grasp of what's happening here in the book of Nehemiah. But let me give you five statements as an overview of... Um, 
the book of Nehemiah. The first, it's a story of God doing the impossible through the improbable. Nehemiah is a captive. He's a foreigner. Uh, he's, he's, um, he's living in a land that's not his own, yet God positions him in a strategic place where he's a servant to the king. He has um, the ear of the king, if you will. And God does the impossible through the improbable. He takes this, this slave and uses a slave to turn his situation to bring about the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. So it's really a story. This is a story of God doing the impossible through the improbable. And let me tell you why that excites me this morning. If I were to look at myself, I would say I'm the improbable. I don't know how you assess your own life, but I would say, you know, I, I, you know, I was... I, I was never like the brightest bulb in the pack. I was never like, you know, they say this, the sharpest knife in the drawer. That, that's not my story. My story's always been simply this. God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do and I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'm yours. I, I settled that question a long time ago. God, my life is yours. It's not my own. Here I am. I'm available. And, and so my story, I think, is a lot like Nehemiah's story. It's really God doing the impossible through the improbable. And I think that brings hope for all of us this morning. Here's a here's the second. It's also a story of God being faithful to his promise. God had foretold the returning of a remnant of Jews to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city. Uh, it was all a part of God's plan. I mean, if you look back as far as that God's promise to Abraham, I mean, the returning of the Jews to rebuild the city was a part of God's promise to Abraham, making way for the coming of the Messiah. The one who would bring redemption for the world. And so what we see here playing out in the, in the book of Nehemiah is God being faithful to what he said he would do. It's, it's also a story of the power of prayer. In, in this story, if you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll find eight recorded prayers. Now, I'm sure probably that Nehemiah prayed more prayers than that. But significant that in this story, in this little book, eight recorded prayers. And as Nehemiah connected with God in prayer, as we're going to see as we unpack this a little more this morning, we're going to see, man, prayer works. The power of prayer, the, the power of what happens when individuals humble themselves and set their face to seek God. How God begins to align and God begins to work. It's also a story of the possibility of availability. Again, just as we make ourselves fully available. How God does the impossible through our lives. But it's also the story of the reality of obstacles in the midst of doing God's work. You know, I think in our mindset, we've often thought, well, if God's called me to do this and I'm doing what he's called me to do, then it's going to be like easy. Like everything's going to fall into place and we're all going to have fun and it's not going to be challenging. I mean, we're doing God's work and we're going as best we can discern the way God's called us and it's going to just be great. And I've discovered that's not true. What I've discovered in my own journey and what we discover in Nehemiah's story, here Nehemiah is in the middle of God's will, doing exactly what God's calling him to do, and there's obstacles and challenges everywhere he looks. Because what obstacles are a reality. Again, oftentimes I think we have this wrong thinking, you know, well, boy, man, if I'm doing God's work and it's all going to be easy, and I'm telling you, it's not. 
And I see in my line of work, I see folks unsettled all the time. It's like, why is my life so difficult? Let me tell you why. I believe that God's more interested in the work that he's doing in you than the work he's doing through you. Because he's doing a refining work in your life. And oftentimes it's the obstacles that get us on our face before God. And it's through the obstacles that God does his refining in our lives, growing us as he's doing his work. So this is what I can tell you. In the middle of God's work, in the middle of God's will, you will have obstacles. That's what we see in Nehemiah's story. Yet, in Nehemiah's story, God was faithful at every turn. God was faithful in the midst of... Of the obstacles. So that's just a quick overview of what the book of Nehemiah is all about. Now we need to do a little history lesson. Because if you're going to understand the book of Nehemiah, you have to know a little history. So here's here's a question for you this morning. How many of you loved history in school? Y'all ain't right. It wasn't my favorite subject. My favorite subject was P.E. and shop. That's why I'm so challenged today. I should have paid closer attention. So I'm not the great historian and history wasn't my favorite subject. But let me quickly give you just a a really quick history lesson. There's going to be a timeline on the screen for visual learners that may help you a little bit as I talk through this. But following following the, the reign of King Solomon, his son Rehoboam succeeded him. Not a great leader. Rehoboam brought about a rebellion that uh, resulted in the division of the nation of Israel. There was the ten northern tribes. There was the two southern tribes. So ten and two. Um, in 722, the northern tribes in their rebellion against God, in their idolatry, um, they were carried into captivity by the Assyrians. 722. So the ten tribes are gone and they never recovered. They never returned. Now, you would think that the two southern tribes would have watched their neighbors to the north and said, whoa, we don't want to go down the road they went down. But they didn't. They didn't learn from the lesson of the northern tribe. As a result, 586 B.C., um, the southern kingdom, the two tribes of the southern kingdom were overrun. The city of Jerusalem was totally destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Many of the Jews were carried into captivity by the Babylonians. And so now we have Nehemiah is actually, again, a foreigner. He's a captive in a land that's not his own. Now, in this story, God did not forsake his people. Again, God being faithful to his covenant and faithful to his promises, allowed the Persians to take over the Babylonians as he moved King Cyrus to make a decree to let some of the Jews return to Jerusalem. So now we have the Jewish remnant beginning to come back. And they came back basically in three different times under three different leaders. So we have three remnants of Jews returning to the city of Jerusalem. We have the first group returning under the leadership of Zerubbabel uh, sometime around 536. Um, and their goal was to rebuild the temple, to, re- to reestablish worship in the city. Then we have a second group of Jews, a second remnant that returned about 458 under the leadership of Ezra. And then in 444, uh, we have Nehemiah uh, returning with a group of Jews for the purpose of rebuilding the wall. And what, what I think is interesting in this story is that Nehemiah, as I mentioned earlier, was a captive and a foreigner. However, God established him in a critical position as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And from this position, Nehemiah had access to the king. 
And it's that that begins to open the door that Nehemiah would be able to return, not only to Jerusalem, but get this. He returned with the blessing of the king and the funding of the king. So in other words, the king of another nation is paying for Nehemiah's trip for the rebuilding of the wall around the city of Jerusalem. But as we pick up in Nehemiah chapter one, crisis has come. Crisis is happening in the city of Jerusalem. So we have two groups of Jews that have already returned, but things are not going well. And that's where we pick up the story. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. It says in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of, of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are, uh, are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said... Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So here's Nehemiah, who's faithfully carrying out his assignment, cupbearer to the king, as he receives news that things are not going well in Jerusalem. His brother returns. He's questioning his brother and these men. And basically they say, we got a crisis in the city. Walls are broken down. The gates are burned. Now, if you have no walls in this particular time, no walls meant that the city was was constantly open to enemy attack. So they could come at any time, attack, pillage the city. So there was like no possibility of recovery. And Nehemiah hears this um, and it wrecks him. And as we look to his story, we then begin to see Nehemiah moving into action. But his first point of action was to pray. So you always want to pray before you act. Action before prayer is not wise. But as we pray before we act, it's then that we open the way for God to bring his greatness in our lives and in the situation. Now, this morning, I want to talk with you from this opening chapter in Nehemiah's story about the process of prayer for times of challenge. Because that's what we have here. There's a time of challenge that's come up, that's surfaced, and we see Nehemiah engaging the challenge in the process of prayer. And this is what I know. I mean, we have Nehemiah's story, but this is what I know about the reality of our lives today, is that we get challenges, right? I mean, there's 
financial challenges, there's marriage challenges, there's family challenges, there's, there's work challenges. I mean, they come in so many different shapes and sizes and forms. But this is what I know for all of us in this room. Man, challenges, it's a reality of life. So how do we respond to those challenges? What is the process of prayer? Because I think we should pray before we act. Because oftentimes what we do is we act and we don't pray. And then we find ourselves in a greater mess. And it's like, how did I get here? What did you talk with God about it? How did you invite God into this situation? Well, we didn't. We just kind of we were going to do it on our own. Well, that's how we get ourselves in trouble, right? Obviously not you, but that's how I get myself in trouble. Because I, I, I have this bias to action. That's just the way I'm wired. Make it happen. Get it done. Let's do it today so we don't have to do it tomorrow. And oftentimes I find in my own life, one of my challenges has been I'm quick to act. And oftentimes I forget the step of prayer in the process. And then I find myself like in trouble. Then I have to back up. I have to repent and I have to kind of rechart the course. So from Nehemiah, first thing he does, first thing he does when the challenge arises As he begins to seek the face of God. And so from this really quick, what can we learn about the process of prayer for times of challenge? Because if you're not there today, probably in a week or so, you're going to be there. Challenge is going to be right, right before you. What's the process of prayer? What's the model that we find? I I don't want to say, you know, here's the seven, here's the seven step process. If you follow this, uh, if you follow this, um, what am I trying to say, Tom? What am I trying to say? Formula. Thank you. Formula was the word. Because I'm not into formulas. You know, if you do this and you do this, then God's going to do this. But what I do believe is that we can learn from models. We can learn about a process. So what's the process? Uh, so let me quickly give you these five statements. It all comes right here from chapter one. As we're facing a time of challenge... Um, it, it all begins with a concern, a concern about a problem that you're facing. That's where we see it beginning with Nehemiah. When he hears about the state of the city of Jerusalem and those of his family members that have returned, it wrecks him. It grabs his heart. And because he cares, because there's great empathy and sympathy, Nehemiah begins to pray. And he begins to intercede on behalf of the people. The scripture says that he he fasted and he wept and he prayed. So so the first thing we can learn from Nehemiah's story is that deep concern for a situation will motivate us to pray with persistence, empathy and boldness. Listen, this is what I know, folks. It's really simple. If you don't care, you won't pray. If you don't care, you won't pray. So uh, so this process of prayer begins with what it begins with us being moved with, with our hearts, with our hearts being captured about an issue. You know, a great illustration of this, uh, I don't know, four weeks ago, as we were talking about the issue of abortion and, and we talked about a, a ministry initiative in our city called Love Life Charlotte. And the, kind of the, the foundation of that story is God captured the heart of two men. It really gave them um, a vision for our city in relation to this issue of, of abortion. Grabbed their hearts, broke their hearts. And so out of that, we have Love Life Charlotte, which is basically an initiative to motivate the church, to mobilize the church to 40 days of, uh, for 40 weeks of prayer. So 40 different churches, 40 weeks of prayer in our city. We were week 16. 
So on Wednesday, as a congregation, we fasted and prayed. On Saturday, we had about 200 people down in the city prayer walking around um, one of the abortion clinics. So now we're into about week 21 or 22. I've lost track of the of the process, but we're into about week 21 or 22 of this Love Life Charlotte, where the church is being mobilized to pray as a result of two men whose hearts were captured by this issue because of compassion and care. They were they were driven to prayer to mobilize in the church. Get this today in our city, abortion is down 40 percent. 40 percent in our city. Why? Really simple. Really simple. God captured the heart of two men. He broke them. He wrecked them over the issue of abortion. He gave them a plan. They brought the plan to the to the broader body of Christ. Church mobilized prayer walking in that area. Abortion down 40 percent. Effective prayer begins when our hearts are captured, when we care. And when we care, it's then that we we began to pray boldly and pray effectively. The second step we find for prayer in times of challenge and crisis is is conviction about God's character. We need to have conviction about who God is. Notice the first sentence of Nehemiah's prayer in verse five. If you have your Bibles still open, verse five, Nehemiah says, oh, Lord, God of heaven. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and love with those who love him and obey his commands. Nehemiah was motivated to pray bold prayers because he was convinced of God's greatness, of God's ability and God's care. He knew he knew that God was a covenant making, covenant keeping God. He knew that about about uh, the character of God. He had strong convictions and because he had strong convictions, he could pray bold prayers. That's why it's so important for us today to be in God's word, because in this book, God has chosen to reveal who he is. He's chosen to reveal his love, his power, his ability. He's chosen to reveal that he is a covenant making, covenant keeping God. But if you don't know what God's word says about who God is, then man, you're not going to be confident of the character of God. So here's Nehemiah as he begins his prayer. He begins speaking of the character of God. He says, God, this is this is who I know you are. And because I know you are this, then, man, I can pray this way so that we would have that we would have a conviction about God's character. You know, Hebrews 416 says this, come boldly to God's throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need. Come boldly. Now, how many of you know, if you're not confident of God's character, you're not going to come confidently in prayer. Would you agree with that? If you don't have strong convictions about God's character, then you're going to come weakly in prayer, not confidently. I'm not going to say you're not going to pray. But your prayers are going to have a lot of question marks because you're not confident in who God is. Nehemiah, right at the beginning of his prayer, he begins to say, God, this is who you are. Therefore, I can come with these with these petitions. Here's a a third step for prayer in times of challenge. It's this confession of sin, both yours and others. If you look on down in verse six and seven, Nehemiah in his prayer began to confess not only his sins, but the sin of his father in the sin of the nation of Israel. He called out his sin. He was willing to own his sin and the sin of his nation. Because this is what he knew. Nehemiah knew that 
sin, unconfessed sin in our lives becomes a hindrance. It's like this obstacle that keeps us from being able to pray effectively. So Nehemiah, when he owns his sin and he confesses the sin of, of his family and, and of the nation. You know, if you can think of it like this, sin in your life, unconfessed sin in your life is like a kink in the water hose. So what happens? What happens at your home? If you're out and you're trying to water the flowers or water the grass or water the garden, what happens if you get a kink in the water hose? You have no flow, right? You have no flow. Why? Because you've got a kink in the water hose. And it's stopping the flow. In the same way, unconfessed sin in your life is a kink in the water hose. It's an obstacle. It's a hindrance. Matter of fact, Psalm 66, verse 18 David wrote these words, if I had cherished sin in my heart, God would not have heard me. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, or his ear too dull to hear, but your sins, your iniquities have separated you from God so that he will not hear. Times of challenge. You're going to seek God. Man, the first thing you need to do is man, come clean. It, for me, this this is just... I've just kind of built this into my my pursuit of God. This morning early, about five when I was up, just kind of having my devotions this morning, and I'm engaging in some worship and prayer. And one of the first things I did is I just owned my stuff. Because I, Listen, I, sometimes I think you all think I don't have stuff, and I do. You think because I'm a pastor I don't sin, and I do. I'm just like you. I'm, I'm trying to walk this thing out like you. And in that, I stumble in my, and I fall. My feet get dirty just like your feet get dirty. So every day, for me, it's every day. Routine repentance. It's, just, it's part of my engagement with God because this is what I know. Listen, unconfessed sin is a kink in the water hose. You've got to own your stuff. Then we can come. Then we can come and pray. Bold prayers. This brings us to the fourth step for prayer in times of challenges is we need to have confidence in God's promises. Notice how Nehemiah reminds God of, of his promises or, or actually what Nehemiah does is he prays the word. If you, if you look back to verse eight and verse nine, Nehemiah simply prays what God's already said. He's a God. I mean. Taking him back to um, Deuteronomy. God, this is what you said. This is how you said you would respond. If we turned away from you, then, you know, we, we would be, we would, there would be consequence. But if we repented and come back, God, this is what your, your words are. So, so Nehemiah had confidence in God's promises. And, and he prayed the word. He, he basically was just telling God what God had already said. When we pray, listen, we can come with confidence. First, because we're coming at God's invitation. And secondly, because of his promises to us. So when you pray, you're never coming presumptuously. You're coming at God's invitation. I mean, think about that. Yeah, I think prayer is one of the one of the greatest things that God's given us and that he has given us the created access to him, the creator. He's given us the limited access to the one who has no limits. It's called the avenue of prayer. 
So when we pray, it's really God who's saying, come and ask of me. And we come confidently because of God's promises. Listen, when you're in a time of challenge, one of the things I would encourage you to do is learn to, learn to pray God's word. Speak God's word into the situation. Now, to do that, you have to know God's word, right? You can't pray what you don't know. Again, folks, that's why I say this every Sunday. That's why it's so important that you begin to self-feed and you become a student of God's word because you can't pray what you don't know. You can't bring God's word back into your situation if you don't know what it says. So one of the the things I consistently do is I pray God's word. I pray what God's already said, because this is what I know. I know that God's word is God's will. I I don't have to question, well, should I pray that? Is that God's will or not? Listen, if it's established in his word, I already know it's his will. Right. Are you with me? So so, so, so pray the word. So let, let me. Let me give you a, the practical of how this works out. Because, again, I think it's powerful when we remind God of what he said, when we do what Nehemiah did. When I'm praying for someone who's sick and they're in a time of challenges to a physical need, I pray, I pray James five sixteen and 17. God, your word says, is any sick among you? Call the elders of the church. Let them anoint with all. Pray the prayer of faith. And God, you said, you said you would raise them up. I pray first Peter two twenty four. Lord, your word says by your stripes, we have been healed. If there's someone who's at a point of need in relation to provision or if I'm in a point of need in relation to provision in my own life. Now, I pray Psalm 23. God, your word says that you are the good shepherd and I shall not want and that you walk with me and you provide for me according to the promise of your word. Man, I just began to. I just began to pray God's word about the situation. I mean, that's what Nehemiah did. And here he is praying God's word. Reminding God of what he said. And when you're doing that again, man, you can pray with with, with great boldness, great confidence. Because, again, you're simply praying the word. The final step that we learn from Nehemiah about prayer in times of challenge is that we need to consistently and persistently present our need. Consistently and persistently. In other words, pray and keep on praying. Pray and keep on praying. That you, you would not know it unless you did a little further study into the book of Nehemiah. And I've done the study for you this morning. So let me tell you what I discovered. The scripture in verse 1 says that Nehemiah began to pray in the month of Kislev. And then toward the end of the chapter, he mentions the month of, of Nisan. What we know is, if you look at the Hebrew calendar, four months. So Nehemiah didn't just pray once and get breakthrough. He didn't pray once and get the answer. For four months, four months, he fasted and he wept and he prayed. And he continued to petition God. What consistent and persistent as he brought the need. I think that's a great model for us. As we begin to think about, well, how do I pray in times of challenge? Listen, here it is. Don't just pray once and give up or twice and give up. Well, it must not be God's will. Well, maybe God wants you to pray a little harder. Maybe he wants you to press a little deeper. In our home right now, we've got a little remodel project going on. We're doing a patio up out back. And with that, we had to pull up some concrete. And so we had these big chunks of concrete and 
I thought it would be great for my son Caleb to have some education on busting concrete. So I got him a sledgehammer. And I directed him to this, these huge chunks of concrete. And I, I didn't so much demonstrate. I just kind of talked him through. This is what you want to do. And so he takes this sledgehammer. And he's you know, pounding this concrete. He hits it. And he hits it. And he hits it again. 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 Finally, to his amazement, it breaks. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the concrete break from that one hit or it was was it the multiple hits that then when he had that last swing that last hit that broke the concrete it was the multiple hits wasn't it it wasn't that just that one that one hard hit well that broke the no it was pounding along a line again and again and again and finally there was a hit and there came breakthrough and it's the same in our lives. To be persistent, to be consistent. You know, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said these words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He's talking about prayer and he says, Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. It's interesting. If you look at that verse in the Greek, in the Greek structure, the verb tense speaks of a continued action. Because oftentimes we read the verse and we don't fully catch what Jesus is saying. He's not just saying, ask and, you know, you don't get what you want. Just stop asking. No, actually the verse should read like this. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock. Keep on knocking. In Luke chapter 18, there's the parable of the persistent widow. Verse 1 begins like this. Jesus wanted to teach his disciples to how they should pray and not give up. And he tells them the story of the persistent widow who kept coming to the king and coming to the king and coming to the king. Finally, the king says, I don't care anything about this woman, but she's about to wear me out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grant her request to pray and to keep on praying. Persistent. Because... I don't, you don't know the future, I don't know the future, but I wonder. I wonder if oftentimes you and I quit when breakthrough is just around the corner. We pray one prayer, two prayers, and we think, well, you know, God must not. Listen, God is concerned about you. God doesn't know where I'm at. Listen, God knows exactly where you're at. Listen, if He knows the number of hairs on your head, He knows where you're at. He knows what you're walking through. And you've got to pray and keep on praying. Pray bold prayers, consistent prayers, persistent prayers. So when challenges come, this is what we learned from Nehemiah. When challenges come, our first response should be to pray. Don't act. There's a time for action. As so we get on into the book, Nehemiah acts, but this first his first step when the challenge arises, he weeps, he fasts, and he prays. And it's in that that God begins to work in and through his life, that God takes the improbable and does the impossible. Listen, this is, this is what I believe this morning. This is not just Nehemiah's story. This can be your story. 
Because God's no respecter of individuals. Listen, what he did in Nehemiah and for Nehemiah, he can do for you. It's probably not going to be about building a physical wall around Jerusalem. But it's God manifesting his greatness in the midst of your life, in the midst of your situation. When challenges come, what our first response should be to pray. Prayer is the means that God's given us the limited to connect with his unlimited power and provision. Prayer is the means that he's given us that he can bring his greatness into our lives. But as we pray, again, from Nehemiah, and we want to pray with confidence because of who God is. And because of what he's revealed, his promises to us. And in the midst of that, then God works in our lives for our good. But you pray with me. Lord, I thank you this morning for this story that's recorded for us. Lord, of how you brought about your greatness through a man who was, he was a slave. A foreigner, country not his own. Lord, let you move through Nehemiah. The capture of the heart of the king, where the king sent and funded the assignment. It happened because Nehemiah was simply available. And he was willing to pray bold prayers. But I pray today that, that even as Nehemiah was a change agent through this process of prayer, God, so I pray it would be for us in our lives. Lord, may we be willing to make ourselves available and to seek you through prayer that you might bring your greatness in and through our lives, that we might be change agents for you here in our community. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.